I love this time of year as we approach Christmas. Um, but I have to admit that, that oftentimes, I don't know if this is true for you, but it can sometimes get, can be, be easy to kind of get wrapped up in all the activity surrounding Christmas that we can sometimes lose sight of the heart of what we're actually celebrating at this time of year. You know, there's a lot of wonderful things, traditions that are surrounded at this time of year. Um, one writer recently wrote that he had asked his three-year-old daughter, uh, whose birthday do we celebrate on Christmas? And with a big smile, she said, Santa! Not quite, right? <laughs> um, Celebrating Jesus' birth, obviously, which is the real meaning of for Christmas, it can sometimes get overshadowed by, by everything else. But when you think about it, the, the, the truth of what we're celebrating at Christmas is actually one of the most mind-blowing truths imaginable. At Christmas, we are celebrating the fact that the God of the universe, who created heaven and earth, became a human being and was born... As a baby, there is a writer, Anne Voskamp, who describes this, the mystery of this, this truth that we've been even singing about today like this. She writes, big and glossy and loud and fast. That's how this bent up world turns. But God, when he comes, he shows up in this fetal ball. He who carved the edges of the cosmos curved himself into a fetal ball in the dark, tethered himself to the uterine wall of a virgin, and lets his cells divide, light splitting all white. He gave up the heavens that were not even large enough to contain him and lets himself be held in a hand. The mystery so large becomes the baby so small. An infinite God becomes infant. The giver becomes the gift. This quiet offering, this heart beating in the chest cavity of a held child, a thrumming heart beating hope, beating change, beating love, beating the singular song you've been waiting for, that the whole dizzy planet's been spinning around waiting for. During the season of Advent, we've been going through a sermon series called Glimpses of Jesus in the Book of Isaiah. We've been looking at, at the Book of Isaiah and some of the prophecies that Isaiah spoke about and how they look ahead and give us these glimpses of Jesus who is to come. Two weeks ago, we looked at how Jesus was the new temple that Isaiah described in Isaiah chapter 2. And then last week, we saw how Jesus was the ultimate ruler that Isaiah described in Isaiah 11. Well, today we're going to be looking at how Isaiah describes God himself coming to be with his people, which again points ahead to Jesus coming. And so my sermon title today is Jesus, God with us. We're going to be looking at how this, this text points ahead to this this amazing truth, again, that, that the God of the universe came to be with us in Jesus and, and what that means for our lives today. So our text is Isaiah chapter 35. And we'll be reading verses 1 through 10 that we'll have on the screen or you can follow along 
in uh, your Bibles, the Bibles in the pews. Isaiah chapter 35, beginning with verse 1. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground, bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this amazing vision that you gave to Isaiah of um, deserts coming into bloom and, and of blind people being healed and of this highway to Zion where there is singing and gladness and joy. And Lord, as we uh, hear this, this word, we pray that you would speak it into our hearts, God, to see that, that this picture, Lord, you're inviting us into it, to experience it. That, that you sent Jesus into the world to bring this into our lives. And so uh, give us ears to hear and, and uh, hearts to receive this good news that you want to proclaim to us to, today, Lord, that you are God with us and that you make all the difference. And so re- speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned um, the last couple of weeks as we've been going through this series from the book of Isaiah, Uh, The prophet Isaiah, when he was uh, first ministering in Israel, he was speaking to the people of Judah at a time when they were rebelling against God. And and a big part of what his message was to them was that he was warning them that they would be conquered, that they would be sent away into exile to Babylon. And that happened, you know, about 150 years after Isaiah died. But Isaiah also spoke about this hope, this hope that, that God would rescue his people, that he would bring them back out of exile, bring them back to their land. But also part of this, this hopeful vision that Isaiah was giving was pointing even beyond just that physical return to the land. And part of it is what Isaiah talks about in this passage, that God himself would come to the people. In verse 2 of our text, we read, They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. 
that the people would, would see God's glory coming to them. In verse 4, it says, Your God will come. He will come to save you. And much of the rest of this passage describes what happens when that happens. What happens when God comes to his people? So today we're going to be looking at, at three things that Isaiah says will happen when God comes to be with us. And we're going to see how, how these things that Isaiah talks about, we see glimpses of them in Jesus and his ministry, and, and also how they kind of speak into our lives today. So the first thing that Isaiah says, that when God comes, God comes to bring life in the desert. Um, verses 1, 2, 6, and 7, kind of throughout this passage, um, all talk about this, this dynamic, this, this image, this picture that God's painting of water and streams gushing forth in the desert or the wilderness. And he talks about, um, you know, blooming flowers and vegetation. In the very first verse of the text, Isaiah says, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. So Isaiah, he, he personifies the desert and says that when God comes, this, this dry, dead desert is going itself to be glad, and in the wilderness is going to rejoice. And most of you know that um, Rochelle and I, we lived in Southern California uh, for three years before moving here to Brooklyn, and during the summers in Southern California, it can kind of feel like the desert. In fact, as you get further away from the ocean into the inland, it actually basically is desert. It becomes desert. Um, there was one summer, actually, before Rochelle and I got married, where I spent the summer in Los Angeles um, and we were, when we were dating, and, uh, and I had driven my car out there, and my car was kind of getting a little bit dusty and dirty from um, just you know, driving around, and so Rochelle asked me if I was going to wash my car, kind of like giving a little like hint, hint, nudge, nudge, your car's getting really dirty, um, you're going to wash it, and I, and I being sort of, you know, I didn't have a lot of money back then, and I was kind of cheap, and I was like, well, you know what, I'm just waiting for the rain to come, the rain is going to give me a car wash, um, and that's what I did when I was out here in the East Coast, and, and then she said to me, but it doesn't rain here in the summer. It doesn't rain. You're going to be waiting and waiting for that, that car wash. And I, I was like, what are you talking about? You know, I thought she was exaggerating. Of course, it's going to rain eventually. But it didn't. The whole summer, it didn't rain at all. My car was just dirty. It kept getting dirtier and dirtier. This is kind of a picture of what Southern California looks like in, in the summertime. It's just all brown and, and dry and dusty. But then, when the fall starts... All of a sudden, the rains start to come. And over time, those hills begin to transform. There's, and, and by the time you get to de December and January, um, the, everything is green and, and, and life has come. Pretty different from here, right? <laughs> sort of the opposite uh, of what we experience in the wintertime. But basically, the desert kind of blooms as, as, uh, as the rains come in those winter months. Well, Isaiah, he uses this, this metaphor of life coming in the desert to describe what happens when God comes to, to us, 
when he comes to be with us, that, that he's the one who comes and he, and he breathes life and vibrancy into the dry and dusty places in our lives. And we see this actually in, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Uh, we, we, we heard earlier um, in our scripture reading, John the, uh, you know, John the Baptist um, talking about, about his ministry. And, and where was John? He was out in the wilderness, right? He was out in the desert, and he was preparing the way for the Lord. He's in the desert, and he's proclaiming this message that, that the Lord is coming, that the one is coming after him. And then when Jesus comes along, he gives this proclamation where he says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus is proclaiming that he is the living water that can breathe life into the desert, into the the dusty places, that he's bringing these streams of water to satisfy the thirsty, to cause flowers to bloom in the midst of the wilderness. A lot of times, I think, we can feel like our lives are kind of like the desert, can you relate to that? You know, sometimes we, we feel spiritually dry. God feels kind of distant. We're, maybe we're feeling kind of burned out and, and overwhelmed. Maybe the, the dryness is that we're, we're feeling a lack in, in relationships. We're, you know, we're, we're feeling a lack of closeness or we, we feel kind of alone and there's this dryness that comes. Or maybe we're, we're waiting for something. We're waiting for something in our lives, and, and, and it just it doesn't seem to come. And so things are dry, and, and there doesn't seem to be life. Earlier this week, I realized that I was kind of feeling a little bit like this. Um, I was talking to a friend earlier in the week and realized that, that during that previous week, I had just been sort of running from one activity to another, constantly doing things, and suddenly I realized that I had not been slowing down just to be with God. And so I, I, I spent some time in prayer, you know, just acknowledging to God that, that I've been rushing and busy doing things for God, but had neglected spending time with God. And in that moment, I, I asked him for forgiveness, asked him to draw me back to him. And as I did that, I experienced the truth of these verses. You know, God began to breathe his, his streams of living water to refresh my soul, and I felt new life breaking through the dryness of my heart. God came into our world in the person of Jesus Christ to bring life in our desert places. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to change our circumstances, but his presence changes how we experience those things as he brings renewal and refreshment in the midst of whatever desert we may be experiencing. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling kind of dry. You're feeling tired. You're feeling a a need for refreshment. God, he's here wanting to bring life into your desert places. Well, the second thing that happens when God comes to be with us is that God comes to restore people. In verses 5 and 6, Isaiah lists four different kinds of people. He talks about the blind, the deaf, the lame, and the mute. 
And he says that each one of these groups of people, when God comes, he says they will be restored. That the eyes of the blind will be opened. And the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. And the lame will leap like a deer. And the mute tongue will shout for joy. In Jesus' ministry, he actually performed each of those healings. He actually did exactly what Isaiah said was going to happen when God comes. Um, And he actually points to these things as evidence that he is the Messiah. We saw that in in the verse that that was read earlier from Matthew 11, where, where John the Baptist was in prison, and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus if he's really the one that they were waiting for. He, is, is he really the Messiah? And Jesus' response to John is this. He says, The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Basically what Jesus is doing here is, is he's pointing to the very things that Isaiah was talking about. He's saying, hey, those things that Isaiah said would happen when God comes to be in your midst. Guess what? I've done all those things. I'm doing them in your midst. The blind are receiving sight. The lame are walking. The deaf are hearing. He points to them as evidence that that he is the one Isaiah was speaking about. Now, Isaiah and Jesus, when they were talking about this, they weren't only speaking about physical restoration, though. But these categories of of blindness and deafness were also representative of a broader and deeper reality of brokenness and a need for restoration that applies to all of us. Maybe you're not physically blind or or physically deaf, but, but when Jesus comes, he comes to restore people who are spiritually blind and deaf. And I think that sometimes there's, uh, there's two responses that we can have to this idea of God coming to restore us. On the one hand, there are some people who think, I don't need that. I don't need restoration. You know, I'm, I'm not blind. I'm not deaf. I'm not lame. I'm, I'm doing just fine in my life. There are other people, on the other hand, who know that they need restoration. They recognize their blindness and and brokenness, but sometimes there can be this feeling of of doubt of whether God really will restore them. Will God actually do this in my life? There's a a story about a mining um, explosion that happened in, in a mine in West Virginia that happened many years ago. And this explosion, when it happened, it trapped several men in this mine in complete darkness. And, and finally, the, the rescue team found these miners and, and they, they were able to get a light that shone through to them in, in, the, in the midst of this dark mine. And one of the, the men who had been trapped down there asked this question. He says, you know, why don't these rescuers turn on the light? And the rest of them start looking around, puzzled, and amazement because the light was on. The light's shining. And, and then it was then that they realized that, that that one man, the explosion, when it happened, it had blinded him. But he didn't realize he was blind because he was in the darkness. And so even when this light shone, he, he, he didn't realize it until the light shone. And then it revealed that actually 
he was blind. When we're living in the darkness, we start to think that that's all there is. We start to think that, hey, we're, we're, we're doing just fine. And we don't realize sometimes that we are actually blind and need to be restored, just like, just like that man. In, in John chapter 1, John says that Jesus came as the true light who is coming into the world. And, and just like that rescue team shining a light into that dark mind, Jesus came to shine his light into our dark world. And part of what he does when he shines that light is he reveals that, that we're blind by ourselves, that we can't see in ourselves. We need God to restore our sight, to be able to, to see clearly. And once you see your brokenness, once you see that that actually you are blind, that you're, that you're spiritually blind, that you need Jesus to come and, and give you sight and to restore you. As I said, sometimes that second response can happen where you begin to doubt, can God or will God actually restore you? Maybe you wonder, is God really going to forgive me when, I'm, when I keep walking in darkness and I keep doing the same thing over and over again? Or maybe you've, you've asked God for restoration to, to bring healing in a situation or to, to change your heart, but he doesn't seem to be doing anything. You don't feel restored. You feel like, I'm still stuck. I'm still blind. The reason that God came in the person of Jesus Christ into the world was to restore those who are blind. He came not to just show us our sin, but to pay for our sin so that we can be forgiven. He came to live the perfect life that none of us could live to credit his perfection to us. And, and this tiny baby that, that we celebrate at Christmas, he grew up to be the savior of the world and, and died on the cross in the place of all humanity and then rose to new life, opening the door for us to experience this restoration and renewal through his resurrection Jennifer Dean, in her book, Pursuing the Christ, Prayers for Christmas Time, writes this prayer. She says, When your incarnation began as a formless group of cells in Mary's womb, my salvation had already begun. Before your little toddler feet ever took their first step, your walk up Calvary's hill had commenced. When you moved from Mary's womb into the expanse of earth, you were taking the first step toward the cross. The purpose for your birth was your death. The purpose for your death was your resurrection. The purpose for your resurrection was my salvation. The reason that God sent Jesus into the world was to go to the cross for us, to save us, to restore our sight. When we grasp the meaning of Christ and in Christmas and in the cross, the lengths that God went to restore us, it will begin to give us confidence that God is able and that he is willing to restore us, that, that he wants to bring light into our darkness, that he wants to open our eyes, even regardless of how we might feel, he will forgive us because he's already paid for our sins on the cross. And he will change us 
because he promises to complete the work that he's begun in us. And so even though that transformation may not happen fully right now, it may not happen fully until we're with him in eternity, even now we can experience the newness of life that Christ opened up for us as he opens our eyes, as he unstops our ears and gives strength to our legs to walk in him and opens our mouths to shout for joy. And this leads to the third and final thing that Isaiah talks about when God comes to us, which is that God opens the way to his city. Um, In verse 8, Isaiah says, And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. Um, Later in verse 10, he says, They will enter Zion with singing. He describes this highway, this highway going to the city of Zion. Zion is another name for Jerusalem, but here he's not talking necessarily about the physical city of Jerusalem, but he's talking about the new Jerusalem, the new Zion, the home that, that he's preparing for his people. When, when, uh, back when my, my son Lucas had just been born, um, Rochelle and I were, were driving with Lucas in the car, and we were driving um, on the BQE, on sort of the Gowanus section. We were, we were heading our, on our way into Manhattan, into the city. And it was a Monday morning on my day off, and of course, as is often the case, there was a ton of traffic. And so we were stuck in, uh, in traffic on the BQE on our way into Manhattan. But then as we're inching along, I suddenly realized that over to the left, there is this express lane that's, that's open. It's an express lane that is, that's for this window of 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., Monday through Friday, but it's only for people who have three or more people in the car. And suddenly I realized, hey, we have three people in our car now with my baby, with our baby. We can go, we can take the express lane. Um, and so we got into that express lane and, um, and headed on our way to the tunnel that led us into Manhattan. A way was opened up for us into the city um, because of, of our son, our little baby boy. Je- uh, not Jesus, Lucas. Um, but you know what? This is exactly why Jesus was born. He was born to open up this way for us into the city, into the city of Zion. And, and, and just like in, in that that, that easy pass lane, you have, to have, you have to meet these certain qualifications, right? You have to fall within the, that window of time. You have to have three people in the car. You have to have an easy pass. And, and when Isaiah describes this way into the city, he actually gives even stricter qualifications for, for who can walk on this way. He says that it's the way of holiness. And he continues, the unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. Now, that actually sounds kind of like bad news for us initially, right? Because we've just been talking about how all of us are unclean and, and we're blind and, 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 and we're not completely holy. So how can this way be for us? Well, then Isaiah continues in verse 9 and 10, and he says, But only... The redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. 
He's talking about a road that's not for perfect people, not for people who have worked up themselves into holiness and, 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 and perfection. No, it's, it's for people who have been redeemed, who have been given holiness, who have been given righteousness as a gift, who have been bought back. It's for those who have been ransomed of the Lord. Those who used to be under the control of sin and wickedness and unclean, but who God rescued and made holy through Jesus' death and resurrection. It's like Jesus is driving along with his easy pass and his passenger in the car, and he drives up to us and he says, Hey, you want to ride into the city? I got a spot just for you. Come on in. I've made the way. Jump into my car and and we'll bypass all that traffic. Right? We're not going to be stuck anymore. Jesus, he has satisfied all the qualifications it, that, that are required of walking on that way to Zion. We don't have to do it. He's done it for us. In John fourteen six, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. He is the highway. He's the way to the Father, the way to the heavenly city of Zion. And this is why God came to us in the person of Jesus to open this way to be with him forever. So where are you today? Can you identify with maybe that first area of, of, do you feel like you're in the desert? You feel like that you need God to to bring life and refreshment into your dryness today? If that's you, God came to be with us to do that, to breathe his life. And he wants to do that today through his spirit. So invite him, invite him, Jesus, breathe your life into my dryness. Bring flowers in the midst of my desert places. Receive his abundance. Or, or do you feel broken? Do you feel kind of blind? in need of healing and restoration today. If that's you, Jesus came into the world to do that, to open the eyes of the blind and and to open our ears and to give us strength. So rest in his forgiveness. Invite him to change and to transform you. In this life, there will be desert moments, and we will constantly need Jesus to, to open our eyes again and unstop our ears and to forgive us again and again because we, we are imperfect. We are not yet there in Zion. But know that if you're trusting in him, Jesus has made the way for you. And there is a place for you in that heavenly city of Zion where there will be no more desert and no more blindness, no more brokenness, that one day we will be with him forever. As Isaiah says, they will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. What a day that will be when we get to be among those who enter in singing with joy and gladness. And we will finally see God face to face, our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you came into our world, that that all these promises, this vision that you gave to Isaiah, Lord, that you were proclaiming exactly 
what Jesus came to do. That, Father, you sent your Son to be born to bring streams of living water into our desert places and to open our eyes when we're blind and to restore us and to open this way to your heavenly city, a way that that we could never walk on our own, Lord, but a way that Jesus walked for us and a way that you have opened through him if we trust in him. And so I pray, Lord, that even today, Lord, that you might call even to us for someone who, who may be here and and recognizing that, that, that their eyes are blind and that they need, they need to know you as, as a way to this heavenly city. And I pray that even today, Lord, you'd give them faith to trust you and to say, yes, Jesus, be my way. Open my eyes. Breathe into my desert places. Lord, we all need that continually in our lives. And we pray that, that today Lord, you would do that in us, even as we are in this period of waiting in Advent for the day when you will return to bring us into your holy city, Lord, with songs of joy. And we thank you that in the the midst of it, though, Lord, you have come to us, even to dwell within us, as we will sing in this, this closing hymn, Come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There is room in my heart for thee. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.